Thanks for downloading the Cross Defense Podcast. We're throne checking today. Who's in charge of this place? We're going we're gonna to go to the Revelation and peek behind the curtain and see who's sitting on the throne of the universe and find tremendous comfort there. Thanks for tuning in. Here's the show. Hey, welcome to Cross Defense. Good afternoon. God be praised for another day of his mercy and kindness and love. For another day to rejoice in his word and his truth. It's crazy times these days. By the way, I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, pastor of St. Paul and Jesus Deaf Lutheran Churches in Austin, Texas, and uh, your host here on Cross Defense. And we, we are living in the midst of, well, you know, everyone's unprecedented. Uh, th th this is an overused adjective, but it is strange times for us. We had the pandemic, and then on top of that, we have now the riots sparked by the killing of George Floyd, and it seems like, you know, that seems like things are starting to come apart a little bit. We shouldn't be surprised. Remember, the Christian memory is a long memory. We remember back to the days of, to the days of Rome and the persecution of the church. We remember back to the to the days of Babylon and the deportation. We remember back to the days of the of Noah and the flood. The Bible is a is a Christian memory, and we so we have a long memory of these things. And we remember that that there's nothing new under the sun. That humanity is in rebellion against God, and that God is constantly calling us to repentance and life and joy. Uh, I I though I was thinking about as I was getting ready for the show today. By the way. Thanks for being part of the show. Thanks for listening. If you're listening live, thanks for downloading. If you're a podcast listener, uh, you can find all the old episodes at kfuo.org. Search for Cross Defense. You can find a bunch of other stuff on the website, wolfmuller.co, uh, in which I hope, I, by the way, I was going to make this earlier, and then I got stalled out, and so I thought I could ask you all to do it as well. I'm looking for someone to design a T-shirt that says, Everywhere We Go is a Noah Family Reunion. Let's get rid of this idea that there's, like, different humanities. There's only one human family. We're all related to Adam and Eve. We're all related to Noah. Everywhere we go is a family reunion, and Christians ought to have that attitude, just this kind of open arm towards the world, towards the neighbor, so forth. Anyway, if, you wanna, if you're a T-shirt designer, everywhere we go is a Noah family reunion. That's what I'm looking for. I thought it should have a rainbow on it, but that might be suspicious, so... I'll leave it up to you and your design work. But I, I thought we might take a break from all the chaos today, but how can you? So here, here's what we're going to do. You know, one of the books of the Bible that's the most difficult for a lot of people is the book of Revelation. But I think the pattern and the structure and really the thing that Revelation is doing is perfect for these days. Let me, let me just suggest that Revelation follows this pattern. It's a Revelation, it comes from the Greek word, Apocalypsis, which means unveiling. Apo from calypsis is the veil. So you imagine some, something or someone is covered with a veil and then it's lifted off. Like at the fancy restaurant, they bring out the, the plate. I've seen this in the movies, you know, and they lift off the plate cover. Or like a bride comes down the, down the aisle for a wedding and she has wearing the veil and, and then, you know, like the dad will lift the veil. I've I've always wanted to say during the wedding when that happens and say we've just seen an apocalypse and I, but I never thought the bride would appreciate that. <laughs> it's 
Anyway, there's an unva- Revelation is an unveiling, but there's really two things that are unveiled. One, one main thing that's unveiled in the book of Revelation, and that's Jesus. That's how the book starts. It says the revelation of Jesus, the unveiling of Jesus. We don't want to miss that. But what Revelation does is it sort of pulls back the veil of what we see, to, and it shows John the spiritual mechanics behind the trouble that the church faces then and now and always until Jesus comes back. It's almost like lifting up the hood to see what's going on in the engine. I remember when I was uh, 19, I was backpacking around Israel. This I just thought of this. This is a, this is a picture of an unveiling. I, I was at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. So if you're in the old city in Jerusalem, there's a church that's built over the place where it's thought that Jesus was crucified, died, and was buried, and rose again. You go in, and there's a, a, a slab right in the middle where it's thought that that was the stone upon which Jesus laid when he was dressed for burial. And you kind of head up and up the stairs to the right, and you can get to the place where uh, it was thought that Jesus was crucified. Then if you go down to the left, you can get to this room with a big dome over it. It's a beautiful big dome. And in the middle of this big dome is a like a little chapel, and that's thought to be the place where Jesus was buried. It's not... The, the the grave isn't there anymore. I mean, people went to visit, apparently, and they'd take a piece of the grave, and pretty soon it wasn't a grave anymore, and they had to build a like a little tomb where they thought the tomb was. And we don't know. People, other people say that's probably not where it is. Some people say that his, it's a debate, but that's not the interesting point. I was visiting it, and I was looking. If you go to the place where they think the crucifixion was, you can go and kind of get on your knees and go under this little altar and reach your hand through a piece of plexiglass and you could put your hand into this shaft in the ground that is thought to be the place where the cross was you know dropped so the idea is that the romans would have chiseled out these these square channels in the ground so they could simply drop the the end of the cross into that and that would hold up the cross for the crucifixion so you can reach down and you can touch touch that it's kind of it's something else really so I did that and then I kind of got up from there and was over off to the side uh, w- watching the all the pilgrims coming to this place and 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 putting their hands through the plexiglass and 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 reaching down into this channel there and there was a Orthodox priest that was standing there sort of watching the proceedings this must have been when 1998 or something like that 1997 1998 and uh, and he kind of looked at me and raised his eyebrows like, it's amazing, isn't it? And I raised my eyebrows back. Yeah, it's amazing. And then he nodded his head like, come look at this. And I said, okay. So I walked over there. And like right around the corner, there was this, there's like a wall with a curtain. And he pulled back the curtain. And you could see the hillside that the altar was covering. And you could see this little shaft of light, and you could see these little hands poking through and touching the it was it was it was seeing it from the other side <laughs> and that was strange you could so this big kind of rocky sort of thing, and you could just see these hands reaching in and 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 feeling this place where the cross might have been and then lifting out and you could see it from the other side of things that was an apocalypse that's an unveiling and in the revelation the lord is unveiling this the, the sort of spiritual mechanics of the world and so john gets to see it and he gets to see the attack on the church and the attack on god's estates the family and the state he gets to see those spiritual attacks 
it's in these visions of the of the beasts and of the horses and of the trumpets and of the incense and the angels coming and this and all of this terrible stuff that's happening so that John not only feels the assault of the devil but he actually gets to see the the spiritual assault of the devil and this is important because John is being taught that he's there on exile in Patmos and the church is being persecuted there in Ephesus and all over the world it's not because it's being persecuted by their neighbors it's because it's being persecuted by the devil in other words the thing that's being unveiled first on the earth is that our battle is not against flesh and blood but against powers and principalities and the prince of the darkness of this air like Paul teaches us in Ephesians 6 that our battle is not against flesh and blood not against the neighbor but against the devil and the demons and the rulers in the heavenly places and that is that is shown to us in the book of Revelation we get to see in the Revelation the fiery darts of the devil that normally we cannot see. It's stunning, isn't it, to think that the devil and the demons are prowling around. Right now, wherever you are, the devil and the demons are prowling around. They're attacking your faith like a roaring lion, seeking whom they can devour. The devil and the demons are plotting against you and against all the Christians, against the Lord's church and against everything that is good, including life and marriage and property and a good reputation and any worship of God and confession of the name of Jesus the devil's fighting against all these things plotting never resting with wisdom both from his might and also from the accumulated years of the attack against the church the devil is plotting of mighty foe and it seems to us with our eyes that the devil might be winning I mean we look at the world around us we watch the news we feel it even in our own bodies how the devil is attacking and it seems like he's winning now the revelation that the peeling back of the spiritual reality of all these things that happens in the book of Revelation gives a little thought to that as well. In other words, it, 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 as John sees the beast straddling the sea and the river, and as he sees the poison being poured out and the rivers turning to blood, and as he sees the clouds of locusts going and attacking the Christians, and as he sees the two witnesses being murdered and their bodies laying in the street, as he sees all these things, he says, yes, that explains it. That explains why I'm here on Patmos. That explains the persecution of the church. That explains the trouble that we're in. But, but, here's the joy of Revelation. Because Revelation is not just the unveiling of the spiritual mechanics of the attack on the church. It also unveils the heavenly throne room. In fact, I think if you want to think about the book of Revelation, you can think of it in this way. The book of Revelation is just checking to see who's on the throne. Who's on the throne of the universe? Who's running the show? Who's in charge? And that's good for us. Because as we watch the news and as we hear the disastrous things that are happening all around us, it's good for us to also check in on the throne. What do we call that? A throne check? Just a glimpse and see who's sitting there. Because we're tempted. Are we not tempted to think that the throne is vacant? Or that there's someone malevolent sitting on the throne? That the devil himself has somehow won that throne? That he's sitting there? That he's in charge? That he's ruling and reigning all things on the earth? So we got to check in on the throne and see who's there. And that's what Revelation does. And time and time again, just when John might be convinced 
that that throne is empty, or that that throne is dangerous, he's taken to the throne room, and there he sees, there he sees Jesus seated on the throne. And not just Jesus, he's described, Jesus is described in the book of Revelation as the Lamb. Not, not only the Lamb, the Lamb as he had been slain. So that's what I want to do today. I want to check the throne. I want to look at a couple of passages in Revelation. I want to let them see if they can spark something in our theological imagination. And I want us to leave this time together. I mean, I know you might be driving around or something like this, so you might have to get out and go to the store or something like this. So even, so I, even if you have to leave now before the show is over, I want you to leave this no, knowing that the one who sits on the throne is Jesus, who was crucified for you who's raised from the dead for you, who ascended into heaven for you and sits at the right hand of God the Father for you, ruling and reigning all things for the sake of his church, that Jesus bore your sins, that he, that he paid the price for your atonement, that he won God's smile for you, so that instead of being angry at your, at your sin, God delights in you by his mercy in Christ that you've passed from death to life, that Jesus has made a place for you in the heavenly kingdom by his death and resurrection. He's won a place for you in the heart of God by his suffering. And that that same Jesus, the one who bore your sins, the one who carried your sorrows, the one who was stricken and smitten and afflicted for you, that one is the one who sits on the throne. Now, it might not seem like it when we read the news, which is why we have to read the Bible. <laughs> so let's start with Revelation chapter 5. How are we doing on time here? Let me just check. Revelation chapter 5, that's where I want to start. Now this is an amazing sort of thing because Revelation 5 takes us to this throne room and it says, um, hmm, I wonder how, yes, yes, let's start at the beginning. This is quite beautiful. Revelation 5 verse 1. I saw at the right hand of him who sat on the throne, so there's the throne room and there's God the Father sitting in the, in the throne, that's where he sh should be, and this, and he's holding a scroll. In the right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll written inside and on the back and sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? So there's a scroll, and John knows. You know how sometimes in a dream you know things? It seems like in visions that can happen too. John just knows that that scroll has to be opened. But who's worthy to open it? It's not just a matter of, oh, I'll do it, you know, take it. It's not like Carrie passing to me the, the jar of pickles or something like this, and I'll open it. No, no. It's a, who, there's, there's a worthiness required to open that scroll. And if that scroll can't be opened, something bad's going to happen. We know that because... Look at verse 3. No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open it and read the scroll or look at it. Now this is amazing to think that there's tears in heaven. John crying in heaven because no one is found worthy to open the scroll. Now John knows, somehow he knows that this scroll is the Lamb's book of life. This scroll is the guest list to eternal life. And if this scroll is not open, then, there's, then we're all doomed. But, verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose the seven seals. There's one worthy. There's one who can open the scroll. And, and look at what it says. Who that worthy one is. The lion 
of the tribe of Judah. That's the that's an Old Testament way of talking about the Messiah. And one of the promises that was given to Judah, the, the scepter will not depart from Judah until the Messiah, the king, has come from Genesis 49, Genesis 50, something like that. So that this line of the tribe of Judah, this is the Messiah. So there's a lion who can who can who has prevailed, a lion who is strong enough to open the scrolls. A lion is on its way. And you just have to think, what is John imagining is about to come into the room when it says that there's a lion coming but one of again beautiful things that happens when we read the revelation is we see there's a difference between what you see and what you hear he hears the lion is coming and he looks and he sees behold verse 6 in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes which are the seven spirits that God has sent out into the earth the lamb as he had been slain that's Jesus remember how John the Baptist preached behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world remember how Isaiah preached that like a lamb without a uh, like a lamb before its shearers is silent so he opened not his mouth remember how God made taught Moses to preach that they should take the the lamb and sacrifice it and put its put its blood on the doorpost and the angel of death will pass over this lamb has come this lamb is Christ and now this one this one who died the one who died for you is the one on the throne and it's as true when the revelation was given to John as it is for you today it's a throne check reveals that the lamb is there all right we got more to do but we got to take a break this is cross defense I'm your host pastor Brian Wolfmuller and we're gonna go to a quick break and be right back keep checking the throne we're just just beginning to, to take a look thanks for being part of it we'll talk to you just in a minute This is Dr. Dale Meyer. Have you heard Concordia Seminary's program, Word and Work and Intersection? Every week you can hear it on KFUO Thursdays at 2 p.m. Central Time. We visit with many interesting guests about how the Word of God applies to their daily vocations and ministries. Be sure to tune in and may the intersection of Word and Work be busy on your corner. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. checking the throne who's on the throne that's the question you know there is kind of a political question who's running the show here 
You might be happy or you might be totally distressed that President Trump is the president. You might be dismayed or very excited that that might change with Joe Biden. You might be you might be listening in a different country. You might the person that's in charge, you might be troubled or depending on what state you're living. Man, we've seen governors powers really what they are and what they mean during the COVID pandemic and oof. Who's in charge? And when we think about this thing spiritually, we say, well, who's in charge of the world? Is the devil in charge? This is the thing that's happening in the book of Revelation. It's checking in on the throne. Who's on the throne? And we heard, ha ha, there's one who's worthy, one in the midst of the throne, one who can open the seals, the one, the lion of the tribe of Judah, is none other than a lamb who had been slain. Jesus. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is king. That's what that means. Jesus is king. Jesus is Lord. Remember how the whole of history is headed towards this cacophonous conclusion where every knee is bent and every tongue in heaven and on earth and under the earth is confessing. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus sits on the throne. And we, Christians, know that ahead of time. We're, we're, we're singing the song of the last days already when we say that I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, the one who sits on the throne. He sits at the right hand of God the Father. That means he's in charge. And that the power that was at work when he was raised from the dead is at work in us now, today, right at this very moment. The Holy Spirit is living inside of you, strengthening your faith and your trust in the Lord's word and sanctifying you, giving you the strength to manage to think something holy and do something good, at least to start. Jesus is on the throne. Jesus is on the throne. We walk with, oh boy, do we, does this change the way we walk, we think, and we live. There's no place for despair. If Jesus is on the throne, there's no place for despair. There's no place for throwing up our hands. There's no place for giving up on our neighbor. There's no place for, for, uh, for hopelessness. There's, no, there's also no place for violence. There's no place for impatience. Jesus is on the throne. I looked and behold in the midst, this is Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain. Verse 7, he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. That's God the Father. I've got to put on my glasses. The font in the Bible is too small. And now when he had, verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 Elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which is the prayer of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Oh! So, this song, can you believe this song that the elders are singing? I mean, number one, it's a song of ransom. To ransom means to be captured back. You know, the, the, I think the only time we ever really use the word ransom is when you have a ransom note. So someone gets kidnapped. I mean, does, I, so normally it's like the son of a king or something. You get You get kidnapped and you get held for ransom, and they make the ransom notes out of the out of the cut letters from the magazine or whatever. 
and then you got to go and you got to pay the price to get him back. Well, this is this is Jesus is on a ransom mission, a rescue mission that we that we were born the children of God, but we were taken away and we're held under the devil's captivity. Remember the parable of the strong man that Jesus tells right at the beginning of his ministry. There's a strong man, and when he sits in his house fully armed, his goods are at peace. But when one stronger than him comes and binds the strong man, then he loots his house. That's the story of what Jesus does. He loots the devil's house. And we are the loot. We are the treasure. We are stolen back from the devil by Jesus. He paid the price with his blood so that we can be his. We're ransomed. We're rescued. And, and, and make no mistake, the rescue happened in his own death. It's not, I mean, Jesus destroyed the devil, but he destroyed the devil by being destroyed himself. This is the wonderful mystery of the cross, that, that he paid the price. That's why he's the lamb who was slain on the throne. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. This, by the way, should captivate our imaginations, especially in this time of racial division and polarization. That, that we, are, we belong to the king who has ransomed us from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. There is a, the, 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 the church, the kingdom of God, does not divide up by color, by ethnicity, by by race, or whatever. I don't even think we should use those words anymore. Every language, every tongue, every people, every nation, all of us belong to Jesus. He's rescued us. He's taken us from, how does Paul say it to the Colossians? He transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light by the forgiveness of sins? So that we're taken out of the captivity of slavery, of sin, to death and the devil, and the fear of death. We're rescued from all that. He's redeemed us but to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And, verse 10, has made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on earth. Oh, my. So there's this old riddle that runs through the Old Testament. Uh, it's uh, How does the riddle go? It's because, you know, the Messiah... He's going to be the king, and he's going to be the priest. But how can that possibly be? Because the king comes from David, the tribe of Judah, from whom the scepter will not depart. And the priests come from Levi, through Aaron. And those are two totally different tribes. You can't be a descendant of Levi and a descendant of David. I suppose you could, like a mixed marriage, but that doesn't count. That invalidates the whole thing if you've got a Levite and a Judahite. You've got to have, you've got to have the... The king has got to be from the family of David. That's why the genealogies of Jesus traced both Mary and and Joseph through David. He's got to have that legitimacy. Seed of David, that's Second Samuel chapter 7. The prophecy put forth there that, the, that the, uh, the seed of David will sit on the throne forever. So he's got to be a king according to Judah. So how can he be a priest? It's a riddle. It's a riddle answered in the Old Testament in Psalm 110 beautifully. Where he says, you're a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Aha! <laughs> so the priesthood of the Messiah is not the priesthood of Levi, but the priesthood of Melchizedek. That psalm, we talked about this a couple of months ago. That psalm gives another riddle, though, but how, because it says that the, the Messiah is David's son and David's Lord. And Jesus says to the Pharisees, how can that be? They don't know. <laughs> they, don't, they can't. They're stumped. 
But you can't be a king and a priest. In fact, that's what the kings kept getting in trouble for. Like, remember Saul? He went and Samuel wasn't there, so he offered a sacrifice. That happened to Josiah, I believe, as well. And the Lord sent a, an earthquake. The kings were always wanting to take on a priestly duty, and the Lord would always zap them for it. Wapow! It's a bad deal. The two offices are to be distinct until the Messiah comes. But then now that those two offices, the king and the priest, are joined together in Christ, now they're also joined together in, in the Christian. So that you, you, you're listening to me? You're a Christian? You're baptized? You're listening to me? Listen to what it says about it. This is talking about you. And you, Jesus, have made us kings and priests to our God. And we shall reign on the earth. <laughs> Pastor Wolfmuller, you say. Pastor Wolfmuller, I don't seem like a king or a priest. I can't seem, seem like a servant, like a slave or whatever. Kings and priests, all things are yours, Paul says to the Corinthians. This life or the life to come, the entire earth, Paul, Cephas, Apollos, everything belongs to you, and you're Christ, and Christ is God's. You are children of God, which means that you are spiritual royalty. Now, the Lord doesn't want you to boast in that. In fact, when we see how Jesus was crowned, <laughs> we realize we realize our nobility is also found in the cross and suffering and jesus is crowned with thorns he's exalted on a cross and he gives us that same exaltation which is to the world humility but it's the thing that we boast in but we're kings and priests so here we, jesus has has brought us to the throne with him in fact ephesians 2 can you imagine ephesians 2 says that we are seated with christ in the heavenly places not only is jesus on this throne but we're there with him Anyway, we're getting carried away because I haven't even gotten to verse 11. And we got a couple of more throne checks in Revelation we want to get to. So let me keep reading. Revelation chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures, the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice. I think that one angel singing with a loud voice would be loud enough. But this is 10,000 times 10,000, which seems like a lot. Plus thousands of thousands. In other words, you're not going to you're not going to count them in a day. That's for sure. And they're all singing with a loud voice this song, verse twelve. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing, and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Dear Saints, Jesus is on the throne. You can't forget that. When you're watching the news tonight, I want you to remember, Jesus is on the throne. When you're, when you're reading through your Facebook, scrolling through your Facebook feed to, uh, to this afternoon, I want you to remember this. Jesus is on the throne. Or when you're checking Twitter, or when you're talking to your friends, or whatever it is, when you're listening to the radio while you drive to work tomorrow, Jesus 
is on the throne, and he is the one who was slain. If you wonder, I mean, if you have this question, you're wondering, well, Jesus is on the throne. What is he going to do up there? Is he going to be for me or against me? The answer is answered already. He already died for you. He carries his scars with him to that throne. He can't be anything but for you. Okay, let's keep going. Revelation 7. Now, Revelation 7 has another one of these listen and look kind of contrasts, which is really great. He says, I heard the voice of the four angels saying, uh, the number of those who were sealed, 144,000, and there's uh, 12,000 from the tribe of Judah, 12,000 from the tribe of Reuben, 12,000 from the tribe of Jad. What did I say? Jive of Gad? Dry. Dry. Grive of Trad? The tribe of Gad? <laughs> so 12,000, 12,000, 12,000. And then he looks, verse 9, John looks, and I, and, uh, after these things I looked to behold a great number which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. Oh, let that be our guiding vision. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with right robes and palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. God sits on the throne. The Lamb is at his right hand. All the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know, oh, this is beautiful. It's a picture of all these people in these beautiful white robes standing around this throne, worshiping the Lamb. And the angel says to John, who are all these guys? And John looks at the angel and says, you better tell me. I don't know. Who are they? And the angel says, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Wow. Can you imagine? Just the, here, the pictures. This is, you you got to imagine that you were born wearing a robe. And it's just now about every time you sin, it gets a little mark on it or a stain on it and it or a little tear in it. And by the time you finally die, it's just got to be ribbons. Just nasty, dirty, smelly shreds. They're draped on your shoulders. Just flies in it and just this kind of disgusting. And you get to heaven and you need a wedding banquet to get in and you're like, ah, all I got is this nasty, torn up robe. And the angel says, that's okay, you can clean it off. And you look over and there's a big vat of blood there. Like, I know blood doesn't wash, but all right, I'm... And you take your robe and you dip it in this big vat and it comes out. Can you imagine this? It comes out perfect without spot or, or blemish. And every tear is mended. It's so white you can barely look at it. It comes up out of this, it comes up out of this vat perfectly clean and whole, radiant. That's you, by the way. That's the robe of the righteousness of Christ. How does it, what does this song, uh, the song says, uh, Jesus, 
Oh, I, I'll tell you a story. I went to see Linda, who you'll meet in the resurrection. I went to see Linda. She was dying, and she was in the hospital, and she was embarrassed because she hadn't had time to sort of get ready for me to come. And she was like, oh, Pastor, I look terrible. And I said, Linda, I'm going to sing a song for you. And I sang her this song, this old Zinzendorf song. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness, my beauty are, my glorious dress, mid flaming worlds in these arrayed with joy shall I lift up my head. It's the blood of Jesus that cleanses us, that makes us holy and beautiful in the sight of God. And that's what happens here. They, they t these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation, and they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They will neither hunger anymore or thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne... The Lamb is in the midst of the throne. You got that? The Lamb in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It might not look like it, but the Lamb is still on the throne. All right, we got one more text we want to check. Revelation 12. Oh, boy. <laughs> one more throne check today. We got to do a quick break. You're listening to Cross Defense. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. The Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org slash careers. Drone checking this afternoon on Cross Defense. Just making sure Jesus is still up there. The answer is he is. Whew. And that's what we see this week. We looked at Revelation 5. We looked at Revelation 7. We're going to look at Revelation 12. Oh, man, this is one of my favorite texts. I'm sure we've done this before, Revelation 12 together. It's right. In the, it's the culmination of the book of Revelation, and it's in the midst of all this crazy stuff. So this is the seventh trumpet is blown in Revelation 10 and 11, and then the, the measuring of the, of the temple, and then there's the, the t two witnesses that are trampled. Their bodies are in the street for three days. Oh, my God. And then you have, finally you get to Revelation 12, and it kind of, it breaks into a new vision. We'll pick it up in 12, verse 1, because we want to give ourselves enough time uh, for this to unfold. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1, Now a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of twelve stars. Now who's this woman? We have a, we have a hint because it's described to us. The stars and the... And the moon under her feet, and the garland, and the and the sun. This is the 
tribe of Israel. You'll remember the vision of Joseph about his brothers as the sun and moon and stars and and his mom and dad and sun and moon and stars. So here this is the this is the nation of Israel who was carrying forth the promise from the Garden of Eden that the seed of the woman would destroy the devil, the serpent, and the seed of the serpent. So we have that promise kind of heading forward that this is Israel waiting, and this is a kind of the Old Testament history is the is the vision of the pregnant woman waiting to give birth to the Messiah, the deliverer of the world. Uh, then being with child, she cried out in labor pain to give birth. This is, by, by the way, the, the description of the troubles of the Old Testament people. I mean, this is why Pharaoh was trying to kill all the babies in, in Egypt and why why Herod tried to kill all the babies in Bethlehem and, and why the nations were always rallied against the, the people of God. It's the devil trying to devour the child. That happens in verse verse 3. Another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven diadems on his head. His tail, verse 4, drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. That, by the way, that little verse right there, Revelation 12, verse 4, is why we suspect that one-third of the angels fell. It's this question about how many, you know, when the devil rebelled against God and led this angelic rebellion against God in the very beginning and fell and became the devil and the angels, fallen angels became the demons. Uh, this, is the ver this is as close as we get to a kind of ratio, and it says one-third. One-third. Now, that's a lot of angels who fell, but it also, I suppose it's comforting that it's two to one. Every demon, there's two angels. Anyway, a third of the stars fell from heaven and threw them to the earth, and the dragon who stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. So here you got this picture of this woman giving birth, and there's a dragon ready to eat the baby as soon as it's born. That's his really quite something. I've never seen any art describing that particular scene. They don't allow uh, dragons to be in the birthing rooms anymore. I know in the last four children I've had, there's no dragons allowed, but there's one here. And you wonder what's going to happen when the child is born, but look, it's, it gives it to us. Verse 5, one verse that's going to capture the birth and childhood and life and ministry and teaching and miracles and death and resurrection and appearing and ascension of Jesus oh, the whole ministry the whole the whole of the gospels is going to be wrapped up in one verse revelation chapter 12 verse 5 she bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child was caught up to god and his throne so it goes from the birth of Jesus to the ascension of Jesus. And now, where is he? He's on the throne. And the, what, what happens to the woman now? The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that they should feed her there 1,260 days. That's three and a half years, if you do the math. It's always three and a half years in the book of Revelation. A lot of dispensationalists like to talk about the seven years, but there's no seven years in Revelation. It's always three and a half years. Three and a half years in indicating the the short time of trouble that we have on this world, which is in contrast to the thousand years of glory that we have 
in Christ. But what happens in heaven? That's what, that's what verse 7 is going to be about. What happens in the heavenly throne room when, when this child, when this Messiah, when this Jesus comes into that place? Now, it's helpful for us to remember the background. This is the picture of the ancient throne room. And in those ancient throne rooms where the king would sit on the throne, there was a lot of things that were happening. If you could think of the Congress and the Supreme Court and the White House all combined into one. So there was conversation. There was legislation. There was adjudication. There was executive orders. In fact, we can talk about five or six things that would happen in the throne room of heaven. The first is that there's holy conversation between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the saints and the angels are brought into that conversation. The prophets are the ones who make that conversation known. Number two, there's petitions that are heard. We had it already in the vision that the incense that was brought to the throne room was the prayers of the saints so people can come before the Lord and make petitions for things that they need. The third thing, and perhaps the central thing for us as we consider our salvation, is that there were cases that were heard. And this takes us back, for example, to the vision of the throne room that we have in the book of Job. Remember Job? The Lord says, in the throne room, in the heavenly throne room. He says to the devil and all the angels, have you considered my serpent Job? He's righteous. He's innocent. He's holy. And yet the devil had a place there to come and do what? Accuse Job. The word Satan means accuser. That's going to come up in just a few minutes in the text. So that heaven is a, th is a, is a courtroom. And our case is being heard. And arguing against us is the devil. Now it's frightful. Because the devil does not have to lie in that heavenly courtroom. I mean, you and I give him plenty of evidence by what we do, by what we don't do, by, what, by our sins, by our thoughts and words and deeds, by our breaking of God's law constantly, our laziness and self-centeredness and serving ourselves rather than others and everything else that's wrong about us, the desires that, for, the, for the stuff that hurts and harms our neighbor and our idolatry. Remember this? I found this John Calvin quote. You hear this, people say, John Calvin said, the human heart is an idol factory. How, the, how it goes is, the original was, the, the human mind is, is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols. <laughs> so we're constantly smelting our idols and setting them up to worship them. This is what we do in our fallen flesh. We're constantly sinning. The devil doesn't have to make stuff up. He doesn't have to lie. He just bring before God the evidence of our own sin, and we would be guilty. There's also the praise of God. This is to, to kind of finish out the list of the five things that happen in the throne room. There's, a, there's the praise of God, and then there's also some sending forth from that place. Remember, Jesus ascends into heaven and sends forth the Holy Spirit. But our main interest is the fact that the devil has a seat in the heavenly throne room to sit and from which he can accuse us. That's the picture that we have in Job. It's a picture that we have in Zechariah, the prophet, where the devil sits there and accuses the high priest, Joshua. But what happens when now this Messiah comes into the throne room? Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. War broke out in heaven. If we thought it was a surprise that there was weeping in heaven in Revelation chapter 5, how much more surprising is it that it's war in heaven? We think of heaven as a peaceful place. But when Jesus arrives with his, with his blood with his victory over sin, death, 
and the devil now there's going to be a war breaking out because the devil wants to claim this throne there he wants to have a seat there where he could sit and accuse us but not anymore jesus is going to bring his his blood into heaven and like a flood it's going to wash out the devil war breaks out in heaven michael and his angels and you got to think of michael as like the um uh the bailiff in the court you know the devil is to be removed for contempt Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and the angels were cast out with him. And then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren, who accused them before our God day and night, has been cast down. And they overcame him. Here's a list of three things that overcome the devil. Are you ready? Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath, because he knows that he has only a short time. The devil, can you believe it? The devil had a throne in heaven, but not anymore. He had a place where he could stand and accuse you, but not anymore. And why? And why is that throne removed? Because there's nothing to accuse. There's nothing left to accuse. There's nothing that's not forgiven. There's nothing that's not covered by the blood of Jesus. There's nothing that's not washed by his blood. There's nothing that's not atoned for by his suffering. There's nothing that's not forgiven by his propitiation, by his death on the cross. There's nothing left to accuse. You get a picture like this. The devil, he finds something you did, and he says, ah, that's a good one. So he's going to go before the Lord in heaven and says, Aha, look, look what Brian did yesterday. Look what he did here. Since he just broke this commandment. And he presents the evidence. And then Jesus says, uh, Your Honor, objection. That sin's died for. <laughs> so the devil runs and finds something else. He brings back here. I got another one. I got another sin. Look what he did today. And Jesus says, Objection. That sin is washed. By my blood. The devil runs off, finds something. Look at this. Look at this thing. I can't believe it. Look at how bad this is. Boy, boy, what a sin. And Jesus, objection. I, I suffered for that already. I already paid the price. Objection, objection. All, every, that Jesus sits there objecting to every single accusation that the devil makes against you. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To all who believe in him, we pass from death to life already. Who will accuse? It's God who justifies. In fact, I think that this picture of the devil being cast out of the throne in heaven is what's behind this glorious stuff in Revelation chapter, or in Romans chapter 8. With this idea, with the picture of the throne in heaven and the devil having a throne and then the devil being removed and all that sort of stuff, with that picture in your mind, listen to how Romans chapter 8 goes. What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It's Christ who died, and furthermore is risen, who is even at the right hand of God on the throne, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword, as it's written, for your sake we're killed all day long? We're counted like sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, it's all demon talk right there, none of those things, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look, I know, I know that you're in distress. I know that you and your family are suffering. I know that the world seems like it's falling apart. I know that things are rough. It's always rough. It's, we live in a fallen world. But when we check the throne, dear saints, when we check the throne, you know who's there? Jesus. The one who loves you. The one who died for you. The one who paid the price for your sins. The lamb who was slain is seated on the throne. And that is good news. Especially in these dark times and dark days, that is really good news. God be praised. Hey, thanks for spending the time with me today, checking the throne. <laughs> I hope it's some comfort to you. And there's joy and peace there. Thanks for listening to Cross the Fence. We'll be back next week, Lord willing. God's peace be with you. Defense is a production of KFUO Radio. Find past episodes and support Cross Defense at KFUO.org. God be praised that Jesus sits on the throne. Thanks for being a listener, too, by the way, of Cross Defense. I hope this was helpful for you. If you have questions, please feel free to contact me. You can reach out on the website, wolfmuller.co. Find a lot of other stuff there a lot of other media some other radio stuff a lot of youtube stuff some articles bible studies free books to download a lot of free books in fact so that's a great place to check it out and you can contact me there as well sign up for the wednesday whatnot the free weekly newsletter and get a free book every month so wolfmuller.co and if there was something helpful in this podcast that you think would be encouraging to friends and family i'd encourage you to pass it on to them that's how word spreads and and the good word gets around. So thanks for being part of the fun. May God's peace be with you. I'll look forward to being back with you next week.